Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Moth. And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. Nice delivery. You're always going for something different, mixing it up. Trying to like slow clap (laughs) build up, but with like my voice. Right. So, you know, you like you start slow and then everyone starts clapping. It's the end of every rom-com that takes place in an airport. Say a Rome comp? I did. <laughs> you know, comedies that. that take place on the Italian peninsula. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Good old Rome comps. Favorites of the podcast uh, here. History of the World Part One. Yeah. One of my favorites. Yeah. Rome comps. Uh, I don't have another one. That was, that uh, was other the ones deep that cut. take place in other. Uh, wait, don't they go? They definitely go to Italy to Rome in um, Devil Wears Prada, right? Isn't that? Wait, or do they? Where do they end up for the? Oh, 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 uh, 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 what's the movie with Heath Ledger and he's like, uh, super. He like takes place in Venice. Um, Casanova, Casanova. It's like a rom com period piece where he's like the Casanova, so he's just like sleeping with all of the Venice aristocracy, and they're like after him. This is a Heath Ledger movie. This is a Heath Ledger movie. I own it on iTunes. <laughs> I'm impressed. Yeah, that's enough Deep down cut. that. Sonnet theaters, even that's enough down that. Central hole. City uh, Mall before they redid it. <laughs> uh, so, guys, this is the Masters of Modern podcast. We talk about magic on the show, specifically the modern format. That is Alex Kessler, as he mentioned. I mentioned that I am Ben Bateman, and we're going to talk to you today about mid-range decks in the modern format, as well as some other news and fun stuff. Yeah, specifically uh, the fact that. Um, there's a lot of really cool ones that have started to exist post Hogak, post Modern Horizons, post War of the Spark, and I can't decide which one to build. I have the cards for most of them. It's just like I don't have that many red green mana bases. I don't have that many red blue mana bases. So how many just guy Grixis decks can I really have at the same time? Slash Teamer, slash John, slash Mardu, slash all the other things. So when it comes down to it, I can't decide, and I need your help, Ben, and the internet's help to tell me what I should be building so that when we get to Vegas, few Vegas I'll have a few of these dope lists you'll have in my pocket. To, you'll have a deck to give me to play. I'll have like a belt, <laughs> and each on that belt will be different decks. Getting back to the initial point, though, which is that Alex is going to probably build some decks because he has lots of modern cards that I borrow. Mm-hmm. And uh, First things I move to my new apartment, just like right now, new apartment, already have access to it. The only thing inside of it is my magic collection. Yeah. Well, it's, it's really an interesting place that modern is right now in terms of A, brewing, and then B, the ability to play fair decks. Um, yeah. You know, the, the format has kind of shifted, and I actually think I would classify Horizons as a massive success. Like, b- sure, there's massive... one big hiccup. Uh, what, is the, what is the big hiccup, you think? Hogak? Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Um, the... Yes, that's fair. Uh, and I guess just his interaction with, like, there's like it, a lot it, it, what, of... Because the banning has made Hogak fair, it wasn't Hogak, it's just the Hogak introduction to the format along with Alter created hyperdrive to the Vengevine deck to becoming problematic. Right. With the bridge being gone, that mistake is gone and Modern Horizons has been extremely successful. The modern format is ex- really exciting. We're about to go into a modern a modern MC, the Mythic Championship this weekend. Yeah. Uh, you actually may be listening to this episode unless we get it out a little earlier than normal, literally during day one of the of the MC, the yeah. Mythic Championship. So we're really excited and next week we uh, should have some good data analysis and, and, and going over what that, how Modern did in that MC. And what's going on with the format. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I, I definitely want to talk about that uh, sort of your your direction that you're going to go, and I, I actually think 
probably once we have that information, it'll give us a little bit of like, a, this is cool or this is like totally erroneous and won't work sure. as far as what you're going to build goes. Um, I do think that I do think that we should probably, before we get fully into the discussion of mid-range decks, talk about some of the big news from Comic-Con over the weekend. The, news. the system is down. Well, no, that was that was just a news reference. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Who makes Homestar references? What a nerd! <laughs> just trying to fit in. Um, so uh, I went to Comic Con. I didn't attend the Magic panel. Uh, I I'm, I have not gone to Comic Con and missed the Magic panel. Yeah, since I've been in, over the age of eighteen, it would have been really fun to do. I wish I had, I wish I had done. There was some crazy news that was uh, that that was announced. So you know, you have a new set, uh, Throne of Eldraine. Is that what it's called? Eldraine. Throne of Eldraine. Mm-hmm. Throne of Eldraine. Could be, could be <laughs> Throne of Eldraine. Throne of Eldraine. I haven't heard. I didn't. What so far? I don't think it's that. I'm just disappointed in the name Eldraine. It literally, you're making up fantasy words. You could have chosen a word that they didn't make it up. It means something. No, Eldraine's the name of the everything means. Something. Theoretically, Eldraine is the name of some character. Means, no, no, no. It's the old throne. That's it's like literally translates from Latin and Old English into a word. I wish you guys had the th- the. I wish you guys had the Thor Eld, rocket interaction. Eld is old, and Reign is like the th- crown throne. Like I reign among a land, Eld Reign. Breaking down. I, the I'm name just hoping you. that it's going to turn out to be like an Eldrazi, and I and it isn't just a weird coincidence. Like if this was the throne of Firenia, I would have been like. You could have still chosen different things. I don't know. There's, there's I just, market testing. This also probably doesn't compete with some weird other language that means something else. Like there, there's a lot of difficulty in naming things. I, I don't mind this name. Yeah. More, more importantly, Marshall's naysaying of the name. Super hyped. The set looks amazing. The art looks amazing. The theme is awesome. It's I'm like excited a, for Gingerbread Man and the Shrek references. Because and it's like a Grimm's fairy tale meets medieval vibe, it's, right? That's yeah, it's like, Arthurian legend and Grimm's fairy tale. So medieval, yeah, fits. So like we'll get there's literally artwork of someone giving sword out of a lake. That's like how King Arthur got his and sword. And a gingerbread man yeah. is gonna be an art. There's people getting baked in pies. Yep. Yeah, so we're just awesome new stuff. Really excited. Um, there's a bunch of news as far as packs too that we're going to go over. But really, I, I mean, Morrow has talked about how he's wanted to come back to this. I think one of the issues that they think they had with Laura and Block, which was kind of a version of this, is that there are no humans on that set. and It was a little too cartoony. And this has less of the baggage attached. They get to do all the Arthurian legend stuff. Um, we'll get wizards with pointy hats maybe. For yeah. the first time in Magic, I know that that's like, big. You think we'll get like Merlin? Yeah, I, I think, think that's we'll what I want. I can't wait till we get a legendary Merlin. So, Although, arby, arguably, that's what the one of the few preview cards correct. we know of. He could be their Merlin reference. So, so the other big news was that Brawl is back. Or there's three pieces of big news. Let's do the Brawl's back because this is we have a good segue. Um, so Brawl is back, which means that what, what basically that means is a they're introducing it to Arena, which is the best news I've heard. And, and honestly, the fact that they didn't do that when they announced it the first time was and the, and Gavin wrote a good article that came out on Monday breaking down why the Brawl release happened in this weird format release. But the you know it being on Arena makes it way more likely that I'm going to play Arena more often. I think I've talked about on the podcast my biggest complaints with Arena up to this point has mostly been just like land acquisition and playset acquisition of cards that I want to play with based on the fact that I only have I have like 20 mythic card wild cards and like one rare wild card because I have to spend every single one on a land, on a land right. which then cuts me out of cards. With Singleton though, I can play a lot more. Whenever Singleton events happen, I've been playing a lot. Brawl being added as a permanent feature makes it way more likely for me to start playing and I might start streaming it. So that's really exciting. But then with that, they're coming out with 
um, pre-constructed decks. So like similar to the commander decks that they came out with and come out with every year, they're coming out with brawl versions of that. And we got two preview cards from that. Um, the first one is a signet. It's a two mana artifact that taps for any mana in your com c commander's uh, color. color. And that... So excited for that. It's just like the best mana rock. It's pretty much the best non-soul ring, non-mana mana crypt... You know, mana rock for mana commander rock, yeah. formats. Yeah. Does Brawl allow you to do what um, Oathbreaker does with a Planeswalker? It does, right? You can play a Planeswalker. You can play with a Planeswalker. You just don't get a... Yeah, so Brawl is you can either have a Planeswalker or a um, legendary creature as your commander. And so Oathbreaker is you can only have a Planeswalker, but it's all formats, 60 cards. Commander is only creatures. Yeah, signature spells. I mean, what's interesting is like you can kind of see with their design over the last year with the rotation of, and they said this, that they're designing for Brawl, with the rotation of Dominaria, they still added War of the Spark. And with the addition of War of the Spark, you're now getting that many more legends in the into the, uh, and Planeswalkers can be used, that many more commanders available in the format. So you're, we're not really going to go down in parity, but the pre-constructed decks that they said is meant for that. Can you read what the other... Yeah, so the, uh, the commander that they previewed, or the brawler that they previewed is... Chulane or Kulane, Teller of Tales, costs two green, white, blue for a legendary human druid with vigilance 2-4. Whenever you cast a creature spell, draw a card. You may then put a land from your hand onto the battlefield. And he has three tap, return target creature you control to its owner's hand. So, cool. I don't know how playable that is necessarily in modern, but the cool thing about the Brawl decks, more than anything for our podcast, is... Commander precons are useless to us. <laughs> we yeah. don't we don't get even preview card from. We don't talk about them. Um, well, because if it's in, if it's printed into brawl, because brawl is a standard reflective set, that means that those are standard cards, correct? Yeah, they are correct. legal in modern. Yeah, so, so that's part of the thing about standard. this arcane signet is it's standard legal, but does nothing in standard decks because it references a commander's color identity. So I, they can print it into. It's one of those cards they can print into brawl that will affect past sets it will affect brawl it won't affect standard despite being standard legal i mean that's what that's what ends up happening with the printing of like let's just say legacy can play conspiracy cards but a lot of those draft matters cards you don't matter anyway so they just right. they exist and they'll never get played and that's just is what it is i mean it's the same kind of thing right right it's yeah. a cogwork librarian situation well i mean com uh, command tower is legal in legacy it doesn't see play in legacy because in legacy it reads this land comes into play and doesn't do anything <laughs> spend right. your land drop to increase your land count <laughs> um Well, a good thing is Magic maybe we should just oh, ask oh. the fans. Fans, if you like to hear more Brawl talk or multiplayer talk, let us know in the comments, because maybe we'll do a, some spinoff episodes about Brawl when it comes back. Bottom line is I'm very excited about Brawl. Yep. I, like, that's, that's the thing I'm excited for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, PAX. So, PAX. So, big news in PAX. And I have, like, a list that we'll, I will, we have tweeted out. So, if you go look at our Twitter at the MMCast, you'll be able to find this information of what it breaks down. But they're releasing... Instead of just having one standard pack for a standard set that is the only pack available to open, they put a lot of work into kind of expanding what packs mean to offer it to different people. And so the first one, uh, here's the list, 
is uh that's what's in it so the first one is a draft booster so what you classically know as a booster pack is now called a draft booster pack and basically it's everything you know about a match pack it has all the stuff in the standard set meant to be played in limited uh it's a limited format based booster pack there's one rare every x amount will have a mythic rare every x amount of will have foils inside the packs they've increased the foil rarity a little bit but that's kind of the base level there's a bunch of promos i'm not going to get too much into what promos are on which sets because it's makes this entire explanation 10 times more complicated. But the next version is theme boosters. So theme boosters are, say you are trying as a new player to brew a black themed deck or a red themed deck, that pack will have, and each set will focus differently, but the starting set will be color-based. You'll have a pack that has only black cards in it and it'll have 1.1 rares. So some out of every 10 packs, one will have two rares. But basically the idea is you're trying to build a deck, especially for casual uh, or new players. And this is a direction you can buy on purpose. Instead of, you know, when you were a beginning player, you would buy a pack that would come with your deck and then like two cards and you have a red black deck and you're really excited about red blacks and like none of the cards in the pack are red black or like one is a red card and two black uncommons. I think one of the most fascinating parts about this is like, so we've both played magic for a very long time. We've bought a lot of booster packs. We've Mm -hmm. opened a lot of booster packs. When I think about magic cards and like buying them in packs, the traditional standard way you would buy a 15 card pack has just been the way it is forever. Yes, yeah, since have, basically what what was when what was the last eight card pack? Homelands. Homelands, since Homelands. <laughs> but I have to remember sometimes that at the end of the day there's a bunch of people sitting around at Wizards of the Coast looking at each other being like, how do we make this experience more fun for new players? Mm-hmm. How do we make it so that when a new player goes to a store and they see the packs on the wall, they can buy something on their one visit to the store in that six month period that's mm-hmm. going to make their experience better. And if they want to play a red deck, how do they play red? Like how can we make this awesome for them while combining the random element of booster pack with the intro pack element of being sort of spoon fed product. And that's right. what this is in a really cool way. I, I really like this move. Yeah. It, it's like, it keeps the pack opening experience, but it makes it at least a little bit more specific. So you can do things on purpose. And obviously, you know, wizards talks about the casual player is a much larger segment of the magic base than I think people that are ingrained in the magic really consider. And it happens a lot where like, I'll like be in it. Like in my old job, when there was a big company, I noticed like, Oh, that guy has like a pop, uh, a Elsbeth pop Funko or a nickel bolus poster on his wall that he got at a pre-release. I'm going to go talk about magic. Like, oh, hey, what deck are you playing in standard? What format do you play? Like, oh, I just, I don't, what do you mean format? And I'm like, uh, you, like. Right, 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 right. It's like it's standard. The- and they're like, oh, what's standard? I'm like, oh, you play very casual magic and I don't know how to communicate with you almost on the level that I'm at so ingrained into the well, format. Because what's so crazy, right, is that like when you, when you show up to the office and you're like, hey, there's this cool new game, check it out, right? open the box and start looking at it. I'm reading the rules. I'm like, okay, so we'd sit down and we would play this. And I would, by the end of that, in theory, understand how this new game that I've never played before works. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'd play it again sometime. And right. I'd be like, oh, this was a really fun game. That's the way like people look at magic that don't understand magic in the way that we do, sure. which is that it's, this is this cool game I've level. never tried, right? Like, they don't, they're not looking at it as like, oh, there's 19,000 unique cards and I'm going to go and like just dive into this world. Like, right. that's not how magic is unless you choose it to be. Mm-hmm. And now, the last pack that they've kind of announced is the opposite version of that, and that's the Collector Booster. And this is a pack that has mo- more, a, a much higher percentage of the ca- packs are foil. It has a bunch of different promos. It'll have alternate art of key cards. It'll have kind of what was coming as the box toppers for the. Um, what were the pa- boxes? Masters. The ult- no, 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 no. The um, we'll have we'll have those. It'll have the ultimate masters full art kind of versions of cards. Okay, inside. Yeah. and then masterpieces. Masterpieces. Well, they're not called masterpieces anymore, but a masterpieces like format, which they're called featured cards. Okay, and then they'll have 
Um, what was the showcase frame is what they're calling it. Yeah, the showcase frame. And then what's the eBay boxes that they were selling that there was a big masterpiece. That was the mythic edition, the mythic edition. So the, the mythic edition type of planeswalkers will also be included in these packs. So those will be like what masterpieces were. So full art versions of old cards, new cards. Yeah. So there's a bunch of stuff in this pack. This gets me so excited, (laughs) but it is, but it is standard product. It is all, uh, I don't know about the last thing. Okay. I forget what that is. The full art planeswalkers, but, but for the most part, it is meant to be like everything in here is worth opening, right? This is a pack to open. It's going to be a more premium pack, costed pack. Right. It's for the ingrained player. Because, you know, the general story is don't open packs, right? And so this is meant to be more about opening packs. The chances of getting the same card twice among two packs is much lower because there's a lot more stuff that's available to those packs. And on top of that... It's not meant for limited. It's not meant to kind of do that. So it's a whole different kind of opening experience. Totally. Um, and it includes the special brawl cards, the special um, cards that come in the Planeswalker decks, the ones that like reference sure. the Planeswalker you need to get, the promos, the random stuff that they're going to come out with otherwise. So you get cards that aren't meant for limited in these packs, but are available. Um, and those are the news. So you got... You got Basically, theme boosters, which have been out for a year, they're starting with monocolored ones. But say if we ever return to Ravnica, the theme boosters that would come out for each set would be based on the guilds in that set. If we went to cons of Tarkir block again, it would be, or we go to cons or uh, Tarkir again, it would probably be the five dragons or the five con, you know, the five clans wedge color combos. Sure. And so it, it'll be theme based on the set it's coming out with. But in general, It'll be five, basically. Because well, they've tried, they've tried premium packs in the past, right? Didn't didn't during a Lara block you could get the all foil gold pack, mm-hmm. and and they sort of were a bit of a dud because yeah. it ended up costing a lot because they were like twelve or fourteen yeah, bucks 20, for a yeah. pack, and you just get a whole bunch of foils, and you get like a foil dollar rare, and you're just like, right. oh, I guess I well, and foils in those from that set are worth significantly less, right? And there's actually that effect on the master sets as well. Foils from master sets are worth less than... Because you get a foil on every pack. Or, or cards that have foils in master sets, the foils of those cards are worth closer to the regular cost of the card right. than a regular card that didn't get put in a master set because there's a foil in every pack. Ultimate Masters foils, it's insane how cheap they are. It's actually one of the craziest things. If you want to own a foil version of something, and it might even be too late, they might have started going up, but I mean, I, I remember a period of time like in the last year where Noble Hierarch was $100. And I bought a Noble Hierarch foil from Ultimate Masters for 42 bucks like right. a month and a half ago. Right. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, that's that's the news, guys. Uh, pay attention to the Mythic Championship. Real quickly, before we get into the full episode, uh, be sure to follow along with everything we do here on Twitter. At the MMCast, you can find Alex. Where can the folks find you? Uh, I am at uh, Kess Wiley. You guys can find me at Ben Bateman Media. Also, be sure to check out the Facebook group. We've got over 5,000 people in there talking about modern all day long. And we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash the MMCast, where we uh, we post exclusive deck lists. Uh, there's access to a Discord there. Where we post cool new lists. There's raw versions of the episodes. No editing, Alex and I. You didn't see? We like almost killed each other arguing about uh, Commander just a second ago. And yeah, if I don't you know go... if we cut that. If we cut that, yeah, that wasn't in there. I, also, I'm probably cutting that. So if yeah. you want to hear them almost... <laughs> kill each other over multiplayer versus dual magic uh sign up for that patreon yeah um and help support uh, the show that you love yeah yes and and please like subscribe comment on the video you guys actually been really great about it we've been growing a really nice clip uh, and tons of interaction which is the coolest part uh questions being asked all the time and and, and apparently likes matter more so like like this video yeah be sure to like and subscribe because that's also really important but um 
All right, so... Yeah, today's topic is going to be mid-range and modern. So I think we'll talk a little bit, you know, briefly about some of the history of where it came from, the big decks over time, and then what people are doing right now. And I think the place to start is, how would you describe a mid-range deck? Like, what is mid-range to you? Uh, mid-range is a deck that is well-balanced between both interactive, interactive spells and then uh, threats and cards that generate value. And often those three things can be... Uh, hybridized so you would have a like cryptic command is a great example where it right. is both a removal spell and a card draw engine or you have blood braid elf which is both a threat that draws you a card and gains value um and more often than not the way they do it is they stop your opponent from doing something that eventually and eke advantage while doing it to the point where they're they're doing things while your opponent is not doing things and killing you with the things that they're doing. Yeah. Um, I think that's my definition. Interesting enough, that is also kind of control. Like I think, and I've classically said that Jund is the control deck of modern through this podcast history. Well, I think, so if you go back to the beginning, not the first year, but like once the format had started to sort of settle and it was just Splinter Twin and Jund as like the premier strategies, then you had all the smattering of affinity and all that stuff. You bring that up regularly and like definitively it was birthing pod. I just uh, remember Pod. Splinter Twin and Jund are the like very firm pillars of the format, and Pod was the best deck through that whole period. My memory of it might be skewed. I just remember Birthing Pod taking a second longer to become dominant. People hadn't figured out the best version for a while, and I think Splinter Twin and Jund, I just seem to remember like in the beginning, those were like... Sure, I... I- like, like, like Pod was Pod was dominant and got banned around the same time as Cruz, but it hadn't been... It had been the best deck for like a year, but like... Twin and Jund, I seem to remember, were dominant for the entire year before that was acknowledged. Like, good players knew, not everybody knew yet. Mm, uh, sure. I mean, it's... it's I, a, I, I disagree with the history of that, but we don't have to get too into the history. Of it's all just memory yeah, of when yeah. things happen. But I think, I think the pillars of the format in modern history have always kind of been uh, Tron, a blue-red deck that most of the time was Splinter Twin, right. Birthing Pod, who became Coco, Jund, who's basically been the same deck throughout its history though it's bounced between abzan jund or mardu depending on which day of the week it is and affinity some kind of an artifact um, deck, yeah and obviously the last two years that has been different but for a good four years of the format that was kind of it uh like in like different smattering of decks came in and you know blue white was always around but never really at the top five well that's my point so you're leading into my point which is that in for the longest time on this show because we've done the show going on five years in a few months uh for the first few years, we would always just say, like, Modern doesn't really have a control deck. Like, the closest thing you get to control is mid-range. Because at the time, the, the threat, the, like, threats were too diverse. Nobody could really figure out a way to make blue-white work. Like, it was always right there. It was always, like, you know, top eight. But it was never like, oh, you go into this weekend, you're probably going to play against blue-white control, and it might win the weekend. I, I think blue-white has always consistently been the top of tier two. Right, whereas I think or in the, the last bottom year, of tier one, but yeah, the last year with the printing, with the unbanning of Jace, printing of both Teferis, I think Blue White has become. I think Blue White has been the top three best deck in the format for the last eighteen months. So, uh, expounding again a little further on, like what is mid range? I think the thing you didn't mention is that mid range is generally interested in one for oneing. Like it's usually a it's usually a deck that wants to be hitting its drops and is like, I will trade this lightning bolt for your threat. I will counter your spell. I will Inquisition of Kozilek you. And eventually, when you've won for one for long enough, you take over with your just the consistency of the power level of your cards. See, I guess I would more... It, Jund or Midrange is interested in 1.1-ing for one you. Okay, yeah, getting an incremental advantage. So every yeah. single card is like slight... Like, I'm going to play... 
like Liliana the Veil is a great example, right? Like we, I play this card. I now have Liliana the Veil in play, which means that this is now value I've generated. But all she does is make it so both of us discard. <laughs> so or, every time she up activates, we are both equal in parity unless I put myself in a position where I'm ahead of you through not having cards in my hand or whatever. But for the most part, the value she gains is the point one effect of her being in play. And if you play a creature into her. Which is why she's such a beautifully designed card. Because if I minus Liliana and you lose a creature, now I have the minimum amount of loyalty on my powerful plane walker that the next time i do anything with it we're both going to lose something off right of it. so like i'm not if you allow this to, to be in play one more turn i will lose the same thing you lose right you can effectively ignore this for one turn if you want to because i've already gotten the value i'm supposed to out of it but i have that one loyalty left yeah. right right and so, if you let it survive long enough you'll you will lose if liliana if you let me play with you know i draw a card to get the play it and tick it down, that means you never get to hold on to a card again. Which is which is basically why, for the longest time, Jund was the control deck. Because mm -hmm. Jund allowed you to play Dark Confidant. It allowed you to play Liliana of the Veil, right? So it allowed you to play Bloodbraid Elf. Mm -hmm. Those are all things that are getting you pretty significant advantage, leaving behind something pretty solid. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was Jund in the beginning. You know, Jund eventually became Abzan. And, and, and you add the fact that it does also have a bunch of one-for-one -one removal spells. And it has it has Thoughtseize, like, which was and is still really the forceful of the format. Now we have Force negation which does help make, yep. take a little bit of the load off of off the discard spells but inquisition of kozilek were and are the largest stopper of unfair decks that have existed in modern history so now here let me ask the next question tell me the difference between control tempo and mid-range and modern um tempo is playing a something early that then everything from that point on is preventing your opponent from doing something or getting rid of that thing that is killing them um control in mid-range, I think the line is just... Like, the, the real difference is that mid-range is, like, slightly more aggressive. You're playing Tarmogoyf, and Control is playing a Planeswalker. Like, uh, uh, Control, I guess, I'm going to do nothing but stop you until you no longer can do anything, and then I'll kill you, like, I'll kill you in the endgame, where mid-range is much more the things that I'm doing to stop you also kill you. I think if I was going to define each one, it would be that Tempo doesn't mind hemorrhaging some level of card advantage to maintain advantage like that is just tempo in general so like before the show started i said to marshall in the old days blood raid elf was like the premier card from jund right like you'd play blood raid elf it was a three two haster for four you'd get another card out of it so you were getting a good sized body with haste and something else a full card for four mana mm -hmm. right today a death shadow plus a stubborn denial and a thought seize it's three cards to get a similar you know chokehold but it's arguably more powerful than Blood Red Elf was because even though you're spending three cards for a similar effect of just threat, it's what modern is now. Well, but One I mean, mana three playing times. two Blood Red Elf still, right? Like they're back yeah. to playing two. And, and some of that is Blood Red Elf's value in Jund is mostly dictated on how good and permanent the things you're cascading into. And I think right. Jund moved away a little bit from that being true. But so I think my point is if you spend three cards to generate, you know, get rid of their removal spell, hold open your counter spell and have your big threat, that's tempo. Yeah. You're sacrificing multiple cards to protect your ability to win the game. Mm -hmm. You know, the difference between control and mid-range to me is that in a control deck, it's very, very rare you're playing something on turn two or turn three that if unchecked will just win the game for you. Mm -hmm. Whereas if Jund just thought seizes you and then plays a Tarmogoyf and you don't answer it, you might just lose. And I, I do think that there's something to be said for all of these. Like the way we classify decks is mostly just a tool of being able to quickly understand what's going on. Right, right. Like, right. and that's why I've said Jund is a control deck this whole time is, you know, in reality, this they're all the same. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Like all three of them, like the powerful 
the capabilities of a modern deck is often that you can perform on different levels. Like Jund is powerful because it can be a control deck. It can just play removal spells and thought seasons until the late game and kills you with a raging ravine. It can play tempo. It can play a Tarmogoyf early and then protect you know Thoughtseize you out of removal spells and kill your blockers. It can play um, you know Splinter Twin is obviously the classic example of it. Is that you have to spend so many resources stopping them from comboing out that they kill you with the with the, like a tempo game plan in the meantime. <laughs> well, right. And I, and I think like, again, you're talking about classifications. And I think the funniest part about that is that like, I've heard people describe burn as a combo deck before. They're mm-hmm. like, you're just assembling six things. You're, you know, seven yeah. things all in conjunction to win the game. Right. So it's like, what's the difference between burn and storm at that point? Right. Just redundancy. It's just redundancy and like the number of things you can hit in a certain number of turns. So, um, I, I think like the definitions, what we can both agree on is that mid range decks are decks that by the fourth turn of the game, are pretty set up. Usually that's kind of the idea. Like by the fourth turn of the game, you've probably interacted, you've probably played something to either generate card advantage or played a threat. So so I, I recently have come up with, and I don't, the number that I'm going to use can be played with, and I'd love to hear the community's thoughts on it, how to define a combo deck. A combo deck is a deck that has X amount of cards that actually don't do anything. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Just like Splinter Twin was the combo part of that deck. Well, I mean, Andrew Brown used to say, I'm playing a tempo deck and four Pokemon cards. <laughs> eight, yeah, eight, Pokemon. <laughs> eight Pokemon cards. Like, yeah, yeah. eight cards that actually don't read that do anything. And then, like, Storm is playing a bunch of cards that actually don't do anything if you cast them, right. but if you cast all of the them at once this other card kills your opponent <laughs> well, that's like the mill deck right the mill deck that got popular a year or two ago mm-hmm. that's just a combo deck you're just right. you're not affecting the board at all you're not interacting at all you're just milling them out until they lose oh my gosh scheming symmetry i saw i watched a streamer the other day scheming symmetry his opponent on turn one and then double archive trap them oh <laughs> i love it's, that it's there kids it's there um, so good yeah so i think that's my definition of a combo deck since yeah. we're talking about classifications is just like the more the more card like in burn because they're playing cards like what's the one damage for three? I'm sorry. Lightning bolt, lava spike. Lava spike, spike. Like lava spike is a combo piece card versus lightning bolt, which is also a removal spell, and goblin guide, which is a uh, tempo creature. And like they're playing a bunch of these, but they are playing, I think at least twelve, if not eighteen, combo cards, which makes it a combo deck in my mind. Like skull crack is a combo card. Any of the like blue white bor- you know boros charm, yeah, right. that's a combo card because it doesn't do anything except win you the game. Your point is that Lightning Bolt can actually point at a creature, it can interact, whereas those cards are just their head and their life total is always irrelevant until it's zero. Right, right, right. So now through the format as we continue going on, obviously uh, we talked about that original time period. We've mentioned it a lot of times, you know, uh, Deathrite Shaman turned sort of Jund into four color Jund. Then that turned into Abzan, which became a premier deck for a very long time. Mm -hmm. You know, you had a similar effect with Siege Rhino where it was Mm -hmm. getting you that same advantage that a Bloodbraid Elf would have sort of previously gotten you. And, and on that point, I had Abzan, I had Jund, I've had Mardu built, I've had a blue-white X deck basically since the format has existed. I think right now I'm currently in the longest period of time where I don't have a blue-white deck built because you took all my cards for Countercat and then put half the cards into like my burn deck box, and so now I don't know which deck box. Do I still have it? You no, you gave it back. Okay. You just gave it back over three boxes shuffled among them. I did a good job. <laughs> no. <laughs> Commander sucks. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, no. Uh, um, so, and so now, as Modern Horizons has come out, as all these really sweet cards, Ren and Six is around, I'm so like, good. I could get away with playing like three Life from the Lums in a main deck. Me and uh, Marshall last week play tested a bunch of games where I was playing like Jund with Ren and Six and Cyclers and Life from the Lum, and he was playing a Cycler deck that was really dope, and you should post that list on the Abzan, Abzan uh, Astral Drift. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's with, with, oh, so fun with fact, siege rhinos and stuff. Every one of those games, I had a sixty-five card deck with twenty-four lands. I wow. captured oh, well, yesterday that, when I was backing up. There you go. <laughs> well, so um, oh yeah, sorry. Go, go ahead. But with that in mind. Uh, there's so many cool decks, and I want to go over them and decide which ones I should be building. I bought all the cards, so Gavin Ver, he tweeted. And I want to start here because this is maybe the sweetest one. Yeah. Uh, Gavin Ver, he tweeted at the last, he went into a Mythic Champion, he, he, or maybe it was SCG Con, um, a teamer list okay. that was playing uh, Arcanist. Oh yeah, Dreadhorde. Oh, Dreadhorde. oh yeah, yeah. It was the free spell teamer. It was, it was the, the rhinos f- and electrodominance. Yes. Our buddy so, Surge Sarkeesian texted me that list the other day. So it has like, four Dreadhorde Arnkist, four Tarmogoyf, two Cryptic Command, two Jace, two Bloodbraid Elf, three Ancestral Visions, four Crashing Footballs, two Electrodominance, three As Foretold, Lightning Bolts, Magmatic Sinkholes, two of them, four Ops, two Ren and Sixes, and a bunch of lands. And uh, this deck is dope. <laughs> no, like I literally like one of our buddies was like, I want to play this in Vegas. Like the day after you texted me the list. It's yeah. Because like, <laughs> like how, how fun does it look? Like everybody loves free cards. Arcanist is amazing. Um, no, it looks it looks incredible. I think that deck is awesome. Um, My biggest issue with this deck is, as we just previously described, I would like to have a blue-white deck. And I currently have a Jun deck. And by building this deck, I no longer have either of those decks. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of rares. That's for damn sure. Well, it's just like... I don't have six Jaces. I don't have eight Tarmogoyfs. I don't, you know, there's a bunch of these cards. I think I probably could stretch it. I think right now Ren and Six is the biggest stopgap. Ren and Six is $98. I'm yeah. so glad I bought the two Chinese ones, which are the only two I could find on the They're floor. They're $98 for just a regular one? I don't have any. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so bummed. Jeez. Maybe it might be 86 might, or 89. It's 98 or 89. Whoa. Last time I looked, Urza was the most valuable card in the set, and he was only at like 50. I literally have SCG open on Modern Horizons. It I doesn't surprise you. me because, like, and again, I was I was drafting at uh, the Command Zone house, like, sure. uh, maybe like a month ago, three weeks ago, and we were talking about, somebody opened a Ren and Six, and I remember just like looking at it and <laughs> being like, this is like the, literally the difference between experimental two drop when they were unsure and actually they know exactly what they're doing printing a two drop planeswalker like 9.99 yeah like ren and six compared to tibble is a joke it's it's uh it's literally a joke it's like this is what happens when you play it really safe and this is what happens when you're like all right let's just push it guys well because yeah. one one says draw a card and discard a card at random and the other one says draw a card mm-hmm. yeah well that's i mean we talked about this i think when we a we did when we did the review but i think even last week or when we did the episode together where i was playing dark confidant to draw lands Every time I hit a non-land, I was sad because my life total went down. Going back to Jun conversations of how everything is 0. 0.1, 1.1 worth of value, the the reason it wasn't one point whatever card you drew is because you were losing life with Bob. Ren and Six just guarantees me drawing the lands, not to mention the fact that I can play with Cycler lands now or the, land, the Horizon lands that let me draw cards and value off of him. And that you her. can cast free Lava Darts every turn. Yeah, free Lava want. Dart every turn, like... It's just a lot of good things, and and one of the reasons it's so expensive is because in Legacy it gets Wasteland back, and that's right. just an insane thing. And the entire format is just running six decks. Apparently, not that I pay that much attention, and also, so I might be wrong. In Modern, I mean, you can like, there's a lot of decks that if you ghost quarter them three times, they they run out of lands. So like, <laughs> there's a lot of decks where you just like, okay, I'll ghost quarter your, I don't know, like I I guess I can't, I guess those decks like Blue White plays a bunch of basics, but like if you play against like Shadow or somebody like that, or you Tron, yeah, like just keep them off of the lands they need. Once if you get this, if you're on the play and you have this in the play on turn two and then you just start ghost quartering them every turn yeah i think they lose 
because <laughs> they run out of basics after two of them, maybe yeah, three like if they're stretching it. And then from that point on, you wreck them. I mean, not to mention, like, we're talk we're about to talk about six different mid-range decks. Most of them are three colors, and most of them are not playing that many basics. That actually feels like kind of a hallmark of the mid-range deck. That's not something we didn't, really, we didn't reference. Grind. They usually feel like they're three colors or more. There's, I, there has been like the black green rock decks I from last year. Blue white year. and black green are the two like non, but yes, I agree. It feels like the it feels actually like blue white though is much closer to what we would characterize as control. Like I, I don't think that there are as many blue white decks that I would lean into and say this feels tempo because the tempo versions were Jeskai. Well, I, I don't think they are. I think. Th- the reason I would argue they're more mid-range even is because they're not playing a I counter everything you're doing. They're like, I play a Planeswalker that acts as a mini removal spell and is sure. now a threat. I play like the blue-white decks that have been good for the last two years are rarely. I mean, the best interactive thing that's tempo-y is the spirit, right? The 2-3 counterspell spirit. Oh, yeah. Spell queller. Spell quellers. And even then, that's a that's a mid-range card, right? I'm getting 1.1 value out of this card. Well, I suggest we talk a little bit about some of these decks we have listed here. Looks like we got this one. Oh, the Skelemental Mardu decks yeah. are dope as well. This is <laughs> such a cool deck. I mean, it's it's hilarious that like I was so excited about Unearth being printed in and I like haven't even built with it yet. And like now other people are just going crazy before I've even got a chance well, have, to. Having now played it uh, just to for value to like Unearth and Eternal Witness to get back Unearth just feels like... Feels uh, so good. It's yeah, like it's Bolt really Snap cool. Bolt. Feels sort of like that. I like, and not to mention here, uh, unearthing a Skelemental is like so <laughs> good. Super dope. We also like. We've now adjacently talked about it every couple times. Arcanus is dope. General Arcanus is one of the coolest cards. And we were dead on about it. Yeah. We were dead on about it. I mean, I, when we when we reviewed it, we were both like, this is probably the best card in the set. Like, probably. And I don't think it is the best card in the set, because like... It's War of the Spark, right? Yeah, because yeah. War of the yeah. Spark exists, but... <laughs> I think y'all if, were saying this is any... maybe the best creature in the set. Yes. I think we were <laughs> yeah. right there. Uh, I think if it was in any other set, it would be the best card of the set. It just happens to be in... Urza's block. I think we're lucky it wasn't level. in any other set because it would have been a mythic, maybe another set. Sure, yeah. Um, but really powerful. It's playing. I mean, the Thunderkin Awakener combo along with Lightning Seal Elemental and Ball Lightning is just dirty. Like, what is it? What is the combo? So, so Thunderkin Awakener is a two drop one two. It's for a red one with haste. Whenever it attacks, um, you get to return target elemental creature card from your graveyard with toughness less than Thunderkin Awakener. Uh, and because it's a one two, your Skeletals and your Ball Lightnings all come back. Which is crazy. You also can cycle the Igneous Pouncer in here. Um, it's a five-one. Some, can... some were playing um, Spite Bellows as yeah. a removal spell. That then every turn is a six-one that gets you a removal spell. Season Pyromancer. You have a couple of these in here just to like just keep going with the value. I mean, this deck is just sweet. The funny part is it's playing two Surgical Extractions. The main, which like it's just such a sign of where modern is right now. Well, this is what's interesting about this deck. Also, is it's kind of a reanimator deck. Yeah, for sure. And it's almost, this is more of a reanimator deck than we've had other than Grishel Brand, which is way more of a weird combo deck that wins the turn it goes off. Like, this is really, that's, I think this deck's really cool. It does really feel, it does really properly feel like a mid range deck. I mean, it's doing, it's, it's, it's not as like uh, normal or f- sort of fair as a mid range deck normally feels, where it's just like playing spells into play and like lots sure. of powerful cards. It's definitely doing cl- like, like more clever stuff. I, but I have seen a bunch of Mardu just classic skeletal lists that are not as go off as that one looks like it's right. doing. That one looks more like a combo tempo deck. Um, but definitely, definitely, skeletal is a a temp is a mid range card. Like people are playing it. Um, so now talking about the blue white decks that sure. you were mentioning that are that are somewhere between control and and and. Uh, 
mid-range. You know, I'm looking at a blue-white one here, and it's playing all of your all of your standard blue-white lands. It's got four Field of Ruin, three Celestial Colonnade in there. Um, four Opt instead of Serum Visions. I see no Serum Visions in the list. Um, I've got, you know, Logic Knots and Mana Leaks as like one of each. We've got three Narset Part of Avails, two Teferi Time Raveler, a Gideon Jura, two Jace's, uh, Jace, the good Jace, and Teferi Hero of Dominaria. So you're playing it's like... only one Teferi... It's Gideon of the Trials is the Gideon that's in there. Oh, it's, it's three mana yeah, Gideon. Yeah. yeah, and then there's... And then two Force of Negations. I mean, one... I think one of the reasons it's cut down a little bit on the counter magic is because of the Force of Negations. Um, I think it's playing Opt partially because this deck is not trying to find a thing. It's just trying to make sure it's doing the best thing it can. And Opt lets you find those pieces as you need them. Um, and... Obviously, there's a ton of blue-white control lists. That's the one thing with blue-white control that I think is I maybe maybe more of a control staple, right? Like, mid-range can be more generically proactive, and blue-white control needs to kind of meld itself to the format it's going to. So this was, I forget where I got this list. It was a, on Twitter. It was a specific pro who said he won't be playing it, but this is the list they would be playing. And it's very, very specific. Like, I, you know, you get a bunch of one-ofs. You get a bunch of cards that are very situational, but you can cycle through and you have the card advantage to find them. Um, I've also seen a bunch of blue-white lists playing Snowlands just for the one mana, um, the the, yeah, the enchantment, yeah. the enchantment path. The one, oh, one white on thin ice. On thin ice. So I've seen a lot of on thin ice lists because like the deck's playing a lot of basics. Those can easily be snow basics, and you can just instead of playing uh, X amount of this type of fetch, play the the prismatic one because you're only two color. Like it's not once you're in the two color world, snow basics are so easy to splash, and there are decks splashing for three color easy. Yeah, I think um, you know you're playing 24 lands here, and I which by today's standard in modern, 24 lands is like that's like the max out control number. Like it used to be back in the day, like 27, you could see people play 27 lands because like man lands, but just like the consistency of the format, how fast everything is now, mm-hmm. 24 is a high number. On well, seven of these lands are spell lands, right? So yeah. like the fact that a deck playing seven spell lands is at 24, it says a lot. Yeah. So I think what's really interesting about this deck is when you ask why opt over serum visions. You mentioned you want to be doing something to get to your Planeswalkers, but also you resolve a Planeswalker, you pass. If they don't remove it, now you want to be in a situation where end of turn, you can Snapcaster Mage to come down and block the thing that's mm-hmm. trying to get in to kill your Planeswalker. You'd like to be able to do it at instant speed so your opponent miscalculates, thinking that they're going to be able to get like take your Planeswalker out. Mm-hmm. And when you do it, you want to be able to recast a path or recast an opt, which is why it's harder to play a deck like this with Serum Visions because you don't necessarily want to be doing it on your turn. And, and, and opt is just better with five minute teferi just like as a standard base level position 100 yes. uh, i mean of, of all the control decks that we've had you know you were talking earlier about like blue white isn't the kind of counter every single one of your spells but as far as you know draw go decks this is about as close to a draw go deck as i think we'll ever see in modern yeah and sure. and the the moving to opt from serum visions really speaks to how draw go e it is now and, and i mean and i've seen a ton of lists the one thing that's not in here but i've seen a lot of is uh decks playing for karn as well as part of their list and specifically with the purpose of finding teferi's puzzle box the lockout with narset like they have the lockout combo there there's just there's so much to do with blue white that it, it, it's definitely the hardest to kind of point out exactly what your list can be but it's it's definitely a powerful set now, i think there's a lot of things that have made mid-range decks in modern start to feel more like something that you want to be doing at all times um one of the big things i think is actually the printing of 
of the Horizon Canopy Lands. I think the idea that you are playing, you're playing a deck where at a certain point, if you're playing 24, 25 lands to make sure that you hit your land drop every turn, mm -hmm. every single deck has access to the correct color Horizon Canopy Lands to just cycle through and get to your things faster. Except for blue-white. Blue-white's not playing any because yeah. they don't, there is not a blue-white one. And, and they don't want, believe they don't if want they had splash. one, they and probably they would play it. I don't know though. So that's the one color combo that's a little iffy because they are so much more protective of their life total than often other decks are. And they're playing for so long like they're trying to get to the late game that life loss is something that i think they're a little bit more worried to take advantage of right um the next list we're going to talk about and this is the one that i'm starting at because i have jund already built and sleeved up the mine is a variant on this uh this was provided by um friend of the cast yeah yeah this, uh, this list is sweet i mean this has cards it has a bunch of new cards in it this this is a jund list. list i mean yeah, this deck yeah. is playing Oh, it's sorry. Play, it's playing one Plague Engineer in the main. It's got three Ren and Six in the main. It's got two Hex Drinker in the main. It's got two Season Pyromancer in the main. I mean, this deck is stock full of new cards. It's got one Nurturing Peatland. It's so cool. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really, really excited about lists like this where, like, it's cool how many new cards they got. Someone brought up a good point that people have talked about Jun being bad, but then it's also, like, been in top eights pretty consistently over the last year. So I don't think Jun actually ever went away. I think it's just, like... It's just always like Jund is always a safe bet. Now I'm I'm interested that they're playing as many bobs as they're playing because I've been cutting them just from the perspective that like Ren and Six, Ren and Six is a better version of it. And it's a three-three split here. You're playing a little bit more uh, top end, so I think I would maybe think about playing something else. But this list is super super good. Yeah, I mean it just looks so much fun. Uh, Hex Drinker is a really interesting one here. Michael and I were just talking off camera about it before the show started. Sure. Um, that it's showing up more and more. Hex Drinker is a really interesting modern card. Like you and I talk about all the time. Things that are good early and good late are sort of that's that's what you want to be playing in any kind of good stuff deck. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a it, they've really pushed having a two one for one green that has so much ability. I, it's got to be the most pushed two one for one ever, right? Because it is a really cool card. Um, I dismissed it because I wrote it down as I've got it here in front of me. It's one green for a two one snake. Uh, it has level up one colorless. So level up, in case you guys don't remember, is a uh, you can pay it at any time, only as a sorcery. Um, levels three through seven, it has protection from instance. It's a four four, and at eight plus, it has protection from everything. It's a six six. So if you draw this late in the game and you play it, now you have a four mana four four that has protection from instance, which dodges almost every single removal spell in the entire format. It kind of so something that makes me sad about this card is that I really like the level up mechanic in general, and I don't think it was responded to very positively. So I don't think we're ever going to get a real return. So what makes me happy is we're getting this, but I also think we're just never getting level up again as just a, a wide mechanic. Cause like all the cards in level up are not necessarily powerful enough, but they're all cool. Well, where the, where the big uh, chokehold on the mechanic is with this card is I, I overstated. Um, it's a two, one for one that if you play it and then you level up, level up on the third time you level up to try to get into that protection from instance, they can respond to it because it's a sorcery speed ability and kill it in response. So it doesn't automatically, it's not like it's a, it's a thing where it uses the stack. Yes, exactly. Sorcery speed. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's what, that's the, the thing that's always held back level up. Sure. But, just the fact that you can play a 2-1 for 1 on turn 1, if that's what you decide to draw that particular game, mm -hmm. is a strong start. Yep. Uh, um, before we get into another uh, early game, late game thing, I do want to uh, shout out. Uh, we, uh, Kess, I will not be there, but Ben will be there, as well as other people on the Kess team, are going to Gen Con. Uh, we have a booth there. 
Um, I will look up the booth name as we talk. Uh, cool things that are happening there. We have our obviously the game battle bosses that we kicked our last year successfully, uh, and some of you maybe even donated. We'll be there uh, to play test. You get to play the two new characters. There's a uh, oddly enough a fairy. Uh, Empress, uh, which like Eldraine coming out was like, ah, so that's really cool. She like freezes um, uh, minions using flower and pollen tokens. Uh, and then there's uh, the new uh, character that no one's ever played with because it wasn't available during last Gen Con, a uh, nightmare, which he's kind of the mind flayer. Ask yeah. if you watch Stranger Things. Uh, he possesses units and he has shadow minions. Um, so both of those will be available to play test. Uh, we'll also be giving away uh, if you play a game and win or if you uh, want to buy them uh, limited edition. Uh, love them. So we have these unicorns that we gave away at VidCon and will be available uh, there, as well as limited edition dragons that are specific for Gen Con. Um, you have uh, Izzy, who's a blue and red one, and you have Ryu, who's a version of, we have a boss, Ryu, in Battle Bosses, so he's the love them dragon version of that. These will also be available, uh, non these color combos, but dragons in general will yep. be available exclusive at Target, so you can get them starting next week. Um, and then I'll have some of all of this at GP Vegas, which or Ma Magic Fest Vegas, which we'll both be at, um, and we'll be playing Commander games, playing modern games, we'll be uh, doing some other stuff that we're going to announce next week. Um, super hyped and excited about Magic Vegas, blech, Magic Fest Vegas and uh, Gen Con. So next deck. Yeah, we only have a little bit left here, so I think we'll, we'll get through a last couple um, before we get out of here. I think Naya Tribal Flames is a pretty cool one here. Um, so you've got uh, Oncrop Crasher, Bloodbraid Elves, Lightning Cell. Remind me again what Oncrop Crasher is. This is, this is written. Oncrop Crasher is a three mana, three two with haste that you can exert it when it attacks to say target creature can't block this turn. Gotcha. It's a, and it's just a 3-2 with, with haste. 3-2 so, with haste. Yeah. Huh. For free? For three. For oh, three. For three. Seems kind of bad. Why do they play it? Oh, because because you can unearth it. That's why? Well, and also just because putting three power... One is like a three power haster, so you you know, you know get to get in there right away, but sometimes it just allows you to push through that. Oh, and you can hit deck. it with Bloodbraid Elf, right? So you, yeah. hit it with, you hit it with a Bloodbraid Elf, and now you have six power, and you can make it so they can't block at all, so it just like closes the game out. That seems like kind of the weaker card, but it's playing four Helix, four Bolt, two Unearth, four Tribal Flames. Tribal Flames is a... That, that to me, is like a hallmark of like of sort of mid-range zoo decks because like it's sorcery speed, it costs two mana, hopefully you're getting four to five damage out of it, but it's like so opposite of Lightning Bolt, which obviously this deck is also playing, but like that is a card that like... That is a card that these types of decks 100% want to be playing. That if you're just pure, pure, pure low to the ground aggro, you're not going to be playing Bloodbraid Elf and Oncrop Crasher, and you aren't going to be playing Tribal Flames. Um, your cards have to be cheaper than that. Yeah, this is interesting. This is really more of a zoo deck than anything else, and the first kind of zoo deck I've seen yeah. in a long time. Totally. Yeah. Um, but there is there is power in running four Tribal Flame, four Lightning Bolt, and four Lightning Helix. It's a lot of a lot of burn spells yeah. to back up your beefy boys. Well, I think I think getting like unearthing a Lightning Skelemental and playing an Oncrop Crasher or the reverse of that is very powerful. You basically uh, take your opponent's hand out. Now the next deck that's cool to talk about here is Relentless Hogak. Well, I called it Relentless. I just was giving it names to the side. It's a it's a zombie tribal deck that's playing uh, Hogak. But I I came across it and saw that it was running four Relentless dead and since for You're many weeks excited. now you have lamented that there's no place for relentless dead in modern i found a list that five owed 
Okay, now I'm really excited. So this is a small pox list with four Relentless Dead. Um, oh yeah, Mogi's Marauder. It's got four Hogak, four Crypt Breaker. Crypt Breaker's really come onto the scene. That's like a thing people are doing now. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's a 1-1 one, one for one black that allows you to it's tap one, three. Is it a 1-2? It's just a 1-1 one, one okay. for one. It allows but you I to think, tap three I think, untapped zombies. You control I think the fact that now it. Zombies has has several quality one drops like you want you know crit breaker wants cheap zombies to really work and so adding carrion feeder really put i think carrion feeder being added is what helped push crypt breaker to being stronger and showing up more yeah, between stitcher supplier crypt breaker uh grave crawler and carrion feeder you now have and 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 we've said this before we said it when we talked about the zombie list before for a tribal deck to work in modern it has to be interacting on an axis that one of the other tribal decks isn't just doing better so you can't be just getting beefy which is what merfolk is it or you can't just be generating infinite mana because that's what elves is going to do better than any other tribe but the fact that this has that many one drops and can draw cards off of them and can be that aggressive is really important it's also playing two rotting regiosaur which is sick that's yeah. the seven, oh, six, or three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big, big yeah. Reggie. We talked about that when we did our review, right? That was one of the last cards we got on there. Sweet. So, yeah, I, I, I had a little bit of doubts, but uh, you know, I'm. It's it's showing up now. I do. I will say I don't. Can, so I think there is a genre of deck which is aggressive tribal deck that isn't a mid range deck. So I wouldn't necessarily classify this as a mid range deck. And I would argue that the Naya Tribal Flames is just an aggro deck. It's close. I mean, it's just it's playing. It's relying heavily on a four drop and three drops. I guess that's my my question is because in my mind I've always thought of mid range referring to the time in the game when they start really acting. So like aggro decks, they act and start really setting the pace in turns one and two. And I always thought mid-range decks are ones that really start trying to take over on turns four and five, and that's why they're mid-range. Sure, and that might have been what the definition originally of them was, but I think at this point they have more defining features to them where mid-range is a more interactive deck than what an aggressive deck would be. Less of a casting cost. Yeah, where like, yes, this has Lightning Bolt and Lightning Helix, but those are more like... I will use these to remove your creatures if I need to, but the purpose of this is to burn you out. Do you know right? what I think is really fascinating? Is We're looking at all these lists, and then we got to get out of here in just a second, but the one thing that's not showing up is a Jeskai deck. And for, for years, those Jeskai decks were like, that was like a premier staple of modern. Like those Jeskai decks were what people did. And so what I'm curious about is, do you think the Jeskai decks don't show up anymore because black and green have so much access to graveyard hate? Whereas, uh, like, sorry, in terms of main deck, like, rest in peace, obviously, is, like, what they would do in game two. But, like, you don't have as many easy options in, in a Jeskai deck. And so, like, your main deck is just super weak to those decks. I think if you're playing blue-red, you should be playing Is It. Yeah. Or if you're going to play blue-red, you want to play a mid-range deck, playing a, a, a Grixis deck, which is the one deck list we didn't really go over. Um, we have one, but we can talk about it in a second. I think, I think part of it is just there's now enough good blue white cards that they don't need the splash red right like they have enough pieces of removal that they could use blue has enough counter magic lightning bolt's not as good as it used to be and the format like because of lightning bolt fatal push and path all existing has also it's not even that lightning bolt's not as good it's just that many good removal spells at one mana have pushed out strategies that lightning bolt can prey upon yeah because unless you're actively trying to bolt snap bolt which you can do uh you ultimately don't want to be trying to trade three damage for a creature. You need your path to exiles to make sure you don't just lose. Right. Right. Like while you're winning. Like that, the, the, you didn't point it out, but the blue white control list we went over has an oust. In yeah. It. The, you know, the, the, the snow one is sorcery. Like four. Yeah. What? 
oust is a white sorcery that puts target creature a third from the top. Yeah, and, and then they the gain list, three life. The top list on on uh, MTG Goldfish for Blue White is playing two, so it's one mana for a sorcery, put target creature, and its controller gains three life is like a very strong effect. That that's kind of more what Blue White is looking for at this point. And I think um, oust is also gaining power, obviously, because Teferi Time Raveler makes it an instant. Yes. Okay. So yeah, that, that's very true. Because I don't think I've really had seen oust in many lists until little baby Teferi came around. Right. Yeah. And and yeah, I think that's that's kind of just on the whole, just you're not just guy realize it doesn't really need to burn people out to win. And then if you that's what you're trying to do, black and red and blue as a combo or tri combo are going to do a better job at it than blue white will. And blue white has other powerful things to do. It's not like it's not doing something powerful. It's just it's doing it better in a different way. So and speaking I, of that, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't go over a list of a Grixis Kess based mid range. Yeah, because yeah. we'll I feel like that's what all the fans Kess. want you to. That's what build. I want to build. I think. I think in reality, <laughs> I'm probably going to have Jund, Blue White, Grixis because they relatively don't compete too much. My Black Red lands is going to be a little bit rough, but there's so many good Your lands. Snapcaster mages might be, but yeah. When you like, when you like resolve Kess uh, on on like, I guess let's just say maybe it's on like turn. I guess it's, you probably want it to be on turn six, right? Like because you're playing. No, no, you have force negation. So okay, so you resolve your Kess, and then the next turn, this this is playing three Colgons command. Be able to cast Colgons command, and then cast another Colgons command the same turn to yep. Kess deck. It's really good. Oh. Uh, so so the the Grixis mid range deck we're going to be talking about was provided by Sam Morsey one seventy eight. Uh, cool. He sh- sent us to on Twitter. He might have a different Twitter account. That's his tapped out uh, account. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, the other thing is like surgical extraction is in this format, right? So you can play cast and surgical two of their cards in the, the turn the you caster, which yeah. is really strong. It's playing two Narset part of avails, which like, man, Narset, talk about a card that when it got previewed was not, we were not freaking out about Narset. Narset was not a card that we all looked at each other and were like, this is going to become a two to three of in like every mid range and control deck that plays blue. Right. And it's in every deck now. Like yep. it's, yep. And it, I guess we should have seen it because it's like double impulse and turn off all your opponent's card draw. Yeah. No, like, and this this deck, this list is fair. Like this list is not running any sort of windfalls or puzzle boxes or anything like that. This what? one is just using Narset to draw two cards and maybe preemptively counter some opts. And we talked mm-hmm. about Nars. We, where we talked about Ashiok Dream Render like at length. That was like that's going to be the card from this set that makes it impact. And it's like the ninth most impactful card from the right. set or something like that. <laughs> like not even close. Yeah, which but, is both a statement on how powerful this set is and also just there's a lot of graveyard lot removal really, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah. So, so looking at the rest of what's here, you know, I mean, I think the the, the win conditions obviously being you know cast two creeping tar pits in there like normal. Um, just like kind of a, a suite of cards. There is one factor fiction in here, which is really, really cool. I had the uh, the opportunity in a game recently of Highlander to cast factor fiction off of a Kess. No, no, it wasn't even Highlander. It was in Horizons. So oh, Horizons nice. draft. I drafted both a Kess and a factor fiction, and I got to cast it off of it. Double factor fiction. Epic. Um, this deck seems sweet. I, this seems like of it's all got the ones young you're, Pyro in too. You're, yeah, your yeah. good friend, Young Pyro. Three of them. I feel like this deck seems like of all the ones we've gone over, the one I would I would enjoy playing the most. Okay, this, so this I'll, feels, I'll make sure I have it for me for Vegas, so I can just play your deck. <laughs> um, it seems really sweet. So, um, all right, guys, that's gonna wrap up the episode. We are out of time today. Uh, be sure to check us out at Gen Con. I'll be there hanging out, giving out free unicorns and well, talking so, magic. So. Normally, you have to buy them. There'll, there'll be reasons that stuff gets given away, possibly, that we'll establish. But they'll be for sale there. At GP Vegas, we'll have some to give away as well. Yeah. 
and uh, should be awesome. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Yep. Be sure to follow along um, at the MMCast on Twitter. Also, be sure to check out our sister podcast, The Command Zone and Game Nights, both from Jimmy Jimmy uh, Wong and Josh Lee Kwai, um, the other guys in the, in the Collected.Company brand. Yep. They do great stuff. And a big shout out to their team. They all like they have a big team working on all that content, and they all work really hard. Um, yeah. Yeah, we job. look forward to seeing everybody uh, at Vegas in a yeah. few weeks. So looking I- forward to that. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you for your attention. See you later, alligator. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into the future.